Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Bottoming the podcast about LGBTQ mental health, rock-bottoming and beyond. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BottomingPod or visit BottomingPodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe. Hello, I'm Matthew. And I'm Brendan, and our pronouns are he and him. Today's episode, our third of our Pride Month series, we're going to be speaking to Cherry Valentine mm-hmm. of Drag Race UK Season 2. We're also going to be speaking to Tyler from LGBT Plus Traveller Pride. But first, let's have a cheers. Here we go. <sighs> it's Friday. We've just released Charlie's episode. We had really good um, feedback from that. A lot of people commented on the things that we took from it as well, which was the fact that she was so honest and open and raw. So thank you again, Charlie, for your time. Mm-hmm. How have you been? <laughs> the dreaded question. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got something exciting to share this week. What? Do, do I know about this? I'm fully vaccinated. Oh. <laughs> so we recorded our last episode, obviously, the day before I was vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Again, second time. Now I'm fully vaccinated. I anticipated. How does it feel? I feel well invincible. Maybe too strong when I'm at the minute. <laughs> I feel great. I feel very fortunate and very lucky mm-hmm. to have now had both doses. I haven't had a drop. Well, that changes tomorrow, doesn't it? This time tomorrow, yeah. People of 25 and over at this point, obviously, I know it was like the biggest day. For sign ups to the vaccines. Yeah, it was like a million Broke the plus records, or right? Yeah, in a single yeah. day. So, well done, everyone, for doing that. Yeah. Making the progress that we need to see. 
campaigning for something. It has been another long week. <laughs> um, so I, I apologize for the slight delirium at this point. How are you, my love? Well, currently very hot. It's, it's a really, you know, when, when we asked for the heat, it really came for us, didn't it? So we're a bit sweaty right now. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Friends mm-hmm. fear he's writing again. I oh. like saying that. And I'm prepping to go to Cornwall next week. Oh, gorgeous. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be going to the coast. Oh. Yeah, so I'm getting ready. I'm getting my costume ready. Uh-huh, yeah. Because <laughs> we're doing a murder mystery night. <laughs> I thought you meant like your two-piece for the beach. No. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. My two-piece. <laughs> but it has been a positive week for the podcast. Again, lots of exciting things happening. Yeah, Spotify has been treating us really, really well. We just appeared in there, I think it was like celebrating LGBT plus voices mm. on the homepage. And then we had, we were featured like in Essential Listening An for essential Pride. Listen. <gasps> so our first Pride Month episode, Black and Gay Back in the Day with UK Black Pride, mm-hmm. was um, yeah put into an Essential Listening section. Who'd have thought it? Still in new and noteworthy on Apple, yeah, which is gorgeous to see. So yeah, thank you if you've found us and you're still listening mm-hmm. after finding us on um, Spotify, Apple's playlists. Also, as we mentioned in our previous episodes, for Pride Month, we've been working with Joe Malone London on their internal communications and newsletters. Mm-hmm. If you follow Joe Malone London on their social channels, you'll also have seen a couple of stories they posted um, where they've directed people to listen to our new episodes as well, which mm. is fantastic. They're also supporting several charities this month. The third that we want to highlight is Stonewall Housing, um, and we'll chat a little bit more about them at the end of this episode. So I guess this week, mm-hmm. we should just get straight into it. I think we should. We've raved a few times about how fantastic Drag Race UK Season 2 was mm-hmm. this year. And we were obviously delighted when we managed to bag not one, but two of the most beautiful, amazing, gorgeous queens for this season. One of the reasons we wanted to talk to Cherry was the fact that she is also a mental health nurse by day. Glamour's on by night. <laughs> So after everything that happened last year, we wanted to get a thoughts and perspective on not just the show, but also how the roles changed in the light of COVID-19. So here's Cherry. My name is Cherry Valentine. I am a drag artist. I'm a mental health nurse. I'm a mental health advocate. I'm a musician. And my pronouns are whatever you want to call me, really. But normally people call me she, her in drag. And then out of drag... I don't really know. I like I like anything. They, them, he, him, she, her, whatever. <laughs> How has it been since the show ended? Obviously, I know it was kind of a bit of stop and start with obviously when you left and then you cropped up again towards the end and there was a big break in between and you were mm. quite busy in the middle. What has life been like mm. for you since then? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, life has been absolutely hectic but i wouldn't have it any other way to be honest i like to keep busy i couldn't think of anything worse than having nothing to do <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it, it's been really crazy since it since the show's ended um it's actually got a little bit busier which is nice mm. um and it doesn't feel like there's as much pressure on everything mm. in a weird way i mean the show itself looked insanely intense like as all the other seasons do but then you Add in a global pandemic and it's just like, 
otherworldly, some sort of blockbuster <laughs> film. Yeah, um, strange. No one really knew what was going on either. Um, but when I actually found out about it, because we couldn't watch the news in our hotel rooms, mm. so I was keeping up with the news because it was sort of on everyone's mm. lips before it started filming anyway. Um, and then before I knew it, obviously I was back in the hotel room and they were telling me that I needed to stay the whole weekend because... We had to sort logistics of COVID and all this stuff, and we had to start distancing, and it was, yeah, it was bad. Mm. Gosh. And how did you manage your mental health throughout that entire period? I guess during the show, after the show, knowing that it was going to be, you know, on people's TVs in, in coming months? To be very honest with you, when the show stopped filming the first time round, I actually was in, in a really dark place. Like, it stopped filming. And I came home and I was like, I can't just sit at home and do nothing. So I threw myself back into nursing. And then I didn't know if I wanted to do drag anymore because I didn't mm. know if if I was any good at it, to be honest. Because obviously I knew what had happened on the show and I didn't feel like I'd showed what I could actually do. And I felt a bit like trapped because I couldn't talk about it still with anyone. Mm. And obviously they assign you a psychologist and all that stuff. And I've... I mean, I've worked with psychologists and everything. I know what it's like. So I just didn't feel like the need to talk to anyone about it. So I sort of withdrew myself a little bit and just threw myself into nursing to talk about everyone else. Um, <laughs> so I didn't really, I didn't really know how I felt at the beginning. And then as it sort of went on, it, I got quite spiritual, not in the sense that I found like some spiritual leader or something, but it was more of the sense of, like I always used to teach mindfulness when I delivered therapy sometimes. Um, and I actually started using some of the techniques that I've been teaching other people. And it actually works, which is weird. Um, who would have known? <laughs> yeah. So I, I just started using mindfulness and like getting more in tune with who I am as a person and my energy and all this stuff. Um, I bought some crystals and do you know what I mean? Like stuff that I thought was bullshit beforehand. Yeah. But it actually like it helped. And then it was it was a whole process. It really did change my life and not just the show but the whole pandemic, and I think that goes for a lot of people. We're mm. not the same people, a lot of us, that we were a year and a half ago, and that's the same every year. Mm. But especially this year, it's sort of magnified everything. Yeah. I mean, I know I can personally say I was I was gutted when you left. Oh. Because I think, as you said, like I don't think you got to show anywhere close to what mm. you could have. And I remember, obviously, when Queens leave, they still post kind of the outfits as like, mm. the weeks go on. <laughs> and I was just like, I think we, we were saying to... Um, a sister when we interviewed um, her like this season even before kind of the break in mm. in filming pre-pandemic filming we kind of knew that it was an incredible season like from the off from the announcements it was like this cast is insane like yeah. fantastic everyone is so talented and it almost felt like criminal that anyone mm. was leaving <laughs> it was like just give us a full series and no one leaves and we'll all be happy and I think yeah. It just felt, yeah, it just didn't feel that right that you left so early on. Um, and uh, yeah, I kind of can't imagine what that would have been like without a global pandemic going on. So mm. yeah. I think kind of speaking openly about it and knowing also the work that you were doing outside of that is is really incredible as well because yeah. for most people, they kind of were put on furlough or, mm. you know, there's like loads of different things that people went through. And I think for you to have kind of gone through that, not not being able to speak to people about what you'd just gone through mm. on this global show yeah. <laughs> and then going back yeah. to kind of work on the front line is is quite intense. So kind of to the root of it, what inspired you to, to become a mental health nurse? 
Um, that is a loaded question. <laughs> Do you know, like, honestly, it, it wasn't always in my future when I was younger that I wanted to do something like that. Because um, I was quite withdrawn. I didn't really like talking to people. Um, and I was really self-conscious. I was always that person, that kid at school who just floated around and never really fitted in anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Never had a group of friends. So I'd always felt like I was sort of withdrawn that I couldn't talk to anyone um, and it was always set in my cards that I would take over from my dad's job and work as a mechanic and get pulled out of school and do all this stuff but I didn't want to do that mm. I knew I needed to do something more so I said to my mom I'm going to go into education um, and she was like right you're going to become a doctor then because that was the only obviously option that you could do um, so I started going to college and still I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I was doing things like psychology science and I was doing like art and fashion on the side, but they didn't know about that. Um, <laughs> so I was just doing that. And then it got to the end of college and I was like, what do I do? Where do I go? Um, and my tutor actually at college was like, would you not want to do something in the medical field? What about nursing? Because I know you're super creative. And because I said to her, I don't know if I can tell my family that I just want to do art and be super creative all the time. Um so she was like, you can do anything with nursing. It can go any which way that you want it to go. And it's a good career and all this stuff. And I thought, yeah, whatever. I'm not 100% on it, but I'll do it. I'll throw myself into it. And then I started, I've traveled over the other side of the country um, to go to uni. I say the other side of the country. It's only like two hours in it from one side to the other. <laughs> but it was, I, um, yeah, started doing nursing. And then I honestly fell in love with it. It was incredible. It really opened my mind to to people and what what people go through because I met some incredible people even in the first year um, and then just learning how people think and why people think the way they do and the different routes that people go down in their lives from decisions that they make it was just really fascinating to me mm. um, so I did it ever since I did it ever since and then when I qualified I just I went from there I started working with children for three years in intensive care like psychiatric intensive care because I felt like with all this knowledge, maybe I can make someone in like my age what I felt like when I was younger not feel that way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I spent some time at a psychiatric hospital last year um, helping out during the first wave. And the nurses I was speaking to there were very, yeah, it, it was like a COVID ward as well. So we had it kind of separated as like a, I think it was like a green, amber, and red system of people who had tested negative for COVID, people who are still waiting for their test for COVID and people who had tested positive for COVID. But the main area where everyone kind of hung out was all mixed anyway. And obviously with everyone and all the patients, the different mental health um, problems that they go through when, you know, they're either sectioned or they're at these types of places getting help. It's difficult to kind of, you know, police all of that Mm. anyway on a, on a normal day-to-day and then when you include this you know COVID-19 so I guess the question is how have you seen your job change in the past year? Oh it's a literally a completely different job now mm. I mean when I first um, fini- when I finished filming the first time around in March time and I went back into nursing um, I started working on like a Huntington's ward and it was like dementia as well um, and it was also people who tested positive for COVID and it was all this stuff going on. And then I was like, this isn't, this doesn't feel like where I should be weirdly. Um, 
because everyone was like sort of doing all right and I thought I need to be doing something so I went um started working on an agency and I literally ended up working in Amy Liaison and that was when you go in if someone's come in and the nurses or doctors think that they need seen by a mental health professional and then possibly get mm-hmm. detained and stuff um so I started doing that and then they were really short staffed in the A&E wards so um I ended up doing clinical stuff like I ended up like getting trained up to do like work in ICU as well um and I'm not clinically trained like I was mental mental health my training but over the past year it sort of merged into like a dual thing so I was doing like ICU A&E and then doing like therapy sessions with people on on COVID wards like it was it was very crazy it changed the whole landscape of what nursing was for me because I didn't know it could be that do you know what I mean like we've mm. never been through a global pandemic especially mm. in my lifetime so no one really it felt like no one actually really knew what they were doing they were just looking <laughs> to people who pretended that they did yeah <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> <laughs> but now now it's got it's got a lot better I mean since I got back from filming I've started working in the vaccination center I'm doing that four days a week now and it's like you only see people for five minutes but it sort of sees, it sort of feels like everyone knows what they're doing now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, th- that first period last year was, it changed my whole perspective on what nursing was and what nursing could be because it really opened my eyes and it's honestly changed my life. And I'll keep some of the skills with me that I've learned for the rest of my life. I think it's really interesting that drag queens, drag artists, drag whatever we are, we're, we're actually people and mm-hmm. we've also got other things going on for us as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not just, I'm not just this. Mm-hmm. I also do a million other things as well. Yeah. One of the things we wanted to talk to you about was stigma and language when discussing mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I saw an Instagram post the other day from a fashion brand, a very well-known fashion brand, um, which was, this weather is so bipolar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to be very careful about the type of language we use mm-hmm. around mental health always. And I think it can be lost a lot of the times, especially more recently when it comes to kind of psychosis-based disorders. But why do you think it's important to be aware of the language we use? Well, language is a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because it can be interpreted in so many different ways as well. Specifically, the point that you were saying about um, a fashion brand using the term bipolar to explain the weather. Mm. I don't think it's, I don't, I don't personally don't think that's appropriate. Mm. And I know a lot of people would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um because these these labels, and I don't like labels, I hate labels, but a lot of people feel comfort in a label as well at the mm. same time. So things like bipolar, if someone's diagnosed with bipolar, that that's not just a label to them, it's their whole, like, it becomes part of their life. Mm. And for someone to just put, like, a brushing comment, oh, the weather's like, it's not really, is it? Because it's, it's not as fickle as that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think we should, I think we should really be careful about the language that we use. And especially when it comes like what you said with depression as well. Mm. Um, we could have a mild, I've seen people with a mild inconvenience saying, oh God, that's <laughs> so depressed. Oh, that's mm. depressing. I mean, it's not really, is it? It's just mm. an inconvenience. It's all about education as well. Mm. We need to educate ourselves because I think nowadays, especially on social media online, it's put everything under a microscope and whatever anyone says is under massive scrutiny and like mm-hmm. you can get a hit but you can get like anything can get twisted in any which way and we yeah. just have to be mindful of the messages that we're putting out online as well 
So one of the things um, I think we've already mentioned, kind of like the how fantastic the season was from the off. But one of the really strong points for me was how open you were in episode two. Um, especially when you spoke to sister sister about your um, coming from a traveler background mm. um, and being queer and um, the two of these things intertwining. It was it was incredibly touching and um, it definitely set up the warmth of the entire season, I thought. How did it feel for you to share that with sister? And what was it like to talk about your background so openly like that? Honestly, it was terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying because I'd never spoken about it beforehand. And it's so weird when I, it feels weird to me when I say that because what the first time we spoke about something so personal was in front of a camera. It actually was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was surrounded by so many people who felt like they were so themselves. Mm. And I felt like I was in a safe space to be able to share that. Um, because no one had ever asked me really about my family or my past. Mm. So when sister, we sat down with sister and obviously some conversations like they can get set up and all this stuff but that was a genuine conversation like sister was actually interested in what we were talking about so it felt like the right time to talk about it um and then from there i'm really glad that i did talk about it mm. because it's really it's really affected how things have gone since the show as well um, like even people dming me like i love hearing people's stories and talking to people and if i can help someone i will do do you know what I mean? So it's it's been really nice to be able to have that opportunity to help people from a similar background or in a similar situation that I was in as well. Mm. It was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> you did it so well, though, honestly. But the biggest travesty of the season uh, was the fact that we never got to see what you do for Snatch Game. And obviously... <laughs> we've hence, since then seen, you know, your Instagram posts, but... I mean, we're obsessed <laughs> with the idea of you as Gillian McKee. Could you give us a taste? <laughs> <laughs> For I listeners, mean... Cherry just collapsed. <laughs> Do you know, I had so, so many ideas and I'm sort of keeping it to myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really want to do it um, on the road at some point. I think it's really hilarious. <laughs> Oh my god! So she she will come out. She will come out, but not right now. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> That's also a plug for anyone that that needs that wants to see it. Buy tickets to go yeah. see Cherry. <laughs> yeah, it was going to be fabulous. <laughs> um, so very exciting to hear about your first single aesthetic. We saw a tweet in the lead up to it being released the way you spoke about the process and how it helped you to get out of a really dark place. Um, do you mind expanding a little bit about this? Tell us a bit yeah. more about the background to it. Yeah, I mean, with this track, it's it's very like poppy and like dancey and it's got some inspiration from like Gaga and Madonna and Grace Jones mm. and it's really, it's really fabulous. But at the heart of it, the actual like lyrics and the the meaning behind it is actually quite dark and deep mm. um it came from a place i mean i'd been wanting to make music for for years music's such a massive part of my life um but when we when i came back from filming drag race the first time round i was at home and i thought after like in between shifts it's such a good opportunity to do something but i didn't feel like doing drag so i started writing again um, and it had been things that I've been doing in the past, but I never really picked up. And then, so I started writing and it was just how I felt 
in the moment and it was sort of like a mantra about like being being yourself it really is about being yourself and owning who you are and it's one of them things that I wanted people to listen to and think it's not just aesthetic as in what you look like but it's aesthetic as in like how you also like feel like your whole vibe and your whole who you are as a person um so it was when I wrote it and and stuff like it was it was sorted to myself which sounds really stupid mm. but it was like it like a you can do it like I can't say it without quoting some of the lyrics but some of the lyrics is like you can be anything so be who you want to be and things like that just really resonate with me and I never used to feel it before but mm, I actually yeah. do feel it now it did pull me out of a dark place because I finished writing the track and I thought I looked back at it and thought I feel better now yeah you needed yeah. to do that that's incredible yeah. Yeah. yeah so what's next I mean is it you're going to release this track and then a possible album I mean Potentially. <gasps> Please, we live. Potentially. I just, I've always come from the perspective of like drag has been such like an amazing vehicle to be like, allow me to do all these things like with, with a different air about it. Like mm. I never thought that I could release music or mm. work on some TV stuff. Like I'm working with charities and there's all this amazing stuff that I'm able to do now. So I'm just really trying everything and seeing what sticks and seeing what can what can make some change. So before we speak to our next guest from LGBT Plus Traveller Pride, if you listened to last week's episode, you'll have heard us discuss a little bit about the treatment of trans people in the UK, um, specifically through the media and also the government as well. And I think it kind of is mirrored with what we're talking about in this episode as well. And often the perpetrators of anti-traveller sentiment or anti-traveller articles or any anything in that realm, a lot of the time tend to be the same voices, whether it is misogyny, homophobia, racism. You kind of scratch the surface of one of those things and before you know it, you've got to the other. Mm. So a lot of, you know, transphobes, you scratch the surface a teeny little bit before you know it, someone's being racist. Mm. And before you know it, someone's actually homophobic, even if they paint themselves to not be. We're not going to repeat a lot of what we said last week, but it is the same sentiment. It needs a lot more people to be educating themselves, deconditioning what they know about certain communities as well, because that just feeds into the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all kind of admit, especially when it comes to traveling communities as well, that we've all probably misunderstood um, and not learned what we should do, what we should know about that as well. So here's our interview with Tyler Hatwell from LGBT Plus Traveller Pride. Well, Traveller Pride started initially just as an idea that it would be nice representation to go to Pride in London, uh, specifically as a group of travellers, because we're not particularly well represented travellers anyway. So LGBT travellers, sort of, there's nothing. When I was 15, if you Googled gay gypsy, kind of nothing came up. Or there was a book called um, Gypsy Boy by someone called Mikey Walsh. But that's one of those kind of misery autobiographies. It's his true story, but the problem is that that's the only representation we had. So the idea was it would just be nice to put something out there and be a bit visible. So I got a place at Pride in London and then started contacting people or being contacted, advertising for it. And then I was speaking to everyone beforehand on the phone and everyone said kind of the same thing. They said, oh, you know isolation I thought I was the only one oh it'd be so nice to connect 
all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so it became clear that um i'd created a monster and i couldn't just let it die after pride in london because all these people kind of were saying oh this is really exciting this is really brilliant so you know we've now continued to exist and sort of grow mm-hmm. um and are now actually in the process of not just being a kind of loose collective but becoming a more official legal entity so that we can get funding and provide more um but in the meantime the work that we've managed to do i think is pretty impressive so we've done a lot of like representation advocacy uh which is the cheap stuff mm-hmm. but also that is the important stuff mm-hmm. you know so like going to the meetings and just making sure that oh you know um going to lgbt space and saying like are travelers included in this or going to traveler spaces and go like you know what about lgbt people mm-hmm. and just being that voice in the room that previously wasn't there but in terms of more direct services that we've managed to provide we've done like funded therapy we've done a solidarity fund for trans people we provide sort of links to local services for people and sexual health services so it's kind of acting as the bridge between uh, the community and kind of mainstream services if there's that disconnect which there sometimes can mm. be for loads of different reasons but we're also kind of looking to host more meetups and spaces for people to you know stop that sense of disconnect but obviously we launched in 2019 uh, and then had very grand plans for all these meetups yeah. and then i don't know if you've been watching the news but there's this virus yeah, I hadn't uh, heard, which no. kind of sort of did scupper a few of the plans and we had to do some last minute shuffling around but you know it's, we've, we've done all right obviously from from that outsider's perspective there's different preconceived ideas about being a traveller, what it means to be a traveller. Are you getting much pushback when you do approach those spaces and kind of ask the question about LGBTQ spaces? No, and here's the thing is that people, the, the perception, whenever I tell people, oh, you know, people say, what do you do if I meet them at the party? And they say, mm. oh, I, one of the things I do is I run this charity. They kind of say, oh, you know, is that because it's like, travelers are really homophobic or small c conservative or whatever mm-hmm. um and sort of partly that's partly true um but every group has variations there's more variation within groups than there is between them uh, yeah. so there's people that kind of came with us that said oh you know i'm actually still not out to my parents um and there are other people that sort of said oh i've been out since i was 11 and i'd always knew they'd be fine with it and sort of I, I don't want people to think, oh, Traveller Pride exists because travellers are homophobic, because we equally exist, mm. because it's hard for us to access mainstream LGBT services because we know that there are the anti-traveller prejudices. Yeah. So we've had a couple of snide comments here and there, mostly just like twats on Facebook that have too much <laughs> spare time. Um, but realistically, what we've mostly had is people say, God, this should have existed 10 years ago. I can't, I can't believe it's took this long. Oh, this is so good. Mm. And, you know, I think that the twats on Facebook will exist no matter what community you're from. So you mentioned this uh, virus that happened last year, and it was incredibly hard for a lot of people. In what ways did you keep in touch with the community? Well, because we were so new, it kind of meant that we had that flexibility in Bill. It wasn't that we had to re do all of our services we were building them from scratch anyway Mm. um so most of our initial work was online in terms of reaching audiences and recruiting people for the original pride and everything so it meant that our audience was mostly there. of course this does mean there are some people that aren't reached and i did have plans last year to 
do more physical events to reach mm. the people that we couldn't reach online. And it's a shame that we've not been able to do as much of that. But, you know, we've done what we could. We hosted online spaces for people to kind of mingle and talk. So like Facebook groups, Discord servers, WhatsApp chats, just ways of people getting involved to stop that disconnect stuff. But then on an individual level, we launched a phone line, as I mentioned, where people can kind of get advice or offload. Now, it's not a 24-hour phone line mm. because it's all, you know, shoestring. So the idea is that, like, you text me or you ring and leave a message with a time, mm. uh, with a couple of times it would work for you, and then I ring back or somebody else rings back. But I think, actually, the best thing that we did was last Christmas, I paid a traveller artist to design us a Christmas card and then with sort of a big wagon with all the lights, it was very beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and then people could request to be sent one. I tried to make sure that I wrote something a bit individual to them mm. because Christmas is often very hard, but then with so many people being denied access to their family, if they are on those sorts of terms with their family, it's silly and it's small and it's kind of, it seems trivial, but I think there's something important about feeling like you were kept in mind and that it was a very individualised little message that you got. Like you say, it is a very difficult time of year for a lot of LGBT people, no matter what background you come from. So mm. I think that's yeah, a really lovely personal touch. And as you know, obviously, there's been an abundance of harmful press around trans rights. So we're really glad to see that you have a trans and non-binary solidarity fund. Can you tell mm. us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So we don't have a huge amount of funds. So I feel like it's mostly symbolic because we can't give out huge grants. We can give out sort of 50 quid to trans travellers. But the idea is that they can get themselves something nice to and feel more at ease with themselves and with their gender. So we've paid for people to have kind of clothes that might fit them or you know, a wig or some kind of makeup or beauty treatment or binders or whatever it is. And we don't ask for receipts. And I think that in the hostile environment that exists, it's important to be very vocally like we are a pro-trans organisation and it matters to us. And so, yeah, the 50 quid doesn't materially change your life a huge amount. Although sometimes, let's say you're very, very early in your transition journey, it can be really satisfying mm -hmm. to get an outfit that feels right or whatever. But I think that it, to me, it's until we're able to, you know, someone donates us a huge amount of money or something, mm. um, it's mostly symbolic, but it's something that I'm really proud of. No, I think it's incredible because it, like you say, there's so much, so many terrible things tearing people down at the minute, even just something like that, where you're acknowledging that there is just a more of a specific need for something like that. I think it's brilliant. Mm. Unfortunately, there's been some equally awful press targeted at the traveller community. I mean, just this weekend, there was that ridiculous article, which I won't say. But apart from just damning what these articles say, what can those not within the traveller community do to support the work you do? I think we've given up on the media presenting us in a good way. Uh, and so it's kind of, it's not really a surprise. And, you know, with the article at the weekend... It's a question of, like, oh, I think he just wants attention. Should we just ignore him? You know? <laughs> yeah. I think that what people can actively do, you know, in spite of this other hostile environment, I think it's just about the kind of active inclusion because it's, it's very easy to ignore us. Travellers in general are a tiny population and they're sort of scattered about. It's not like there's one specific community hub that you could go to. So 
it's very easy to kind of if you're working in planning or whatever is to, to sort of forget um, to include us in what you're doing but we need to be able to access services and too many places require you to have a fixed address or stable internet or that kind of thing and there's lots of areas where we fall through the cracks I don't believe by design I think just by an ignorance mm-hmm. so there's also a general sense of distrust that's been built up over generations of travelers like towards mainstream society and that's due to a lot of sort of historical reasons that aren't worth going into now and it's like with any community that they um i don't know like the government would call disengaged or something and use those horrible phrases yeah. but that it's it's not enough to just sort of say oh we've stopped being racist now like you know come aboard you've got to then make sort of further steps to actively include the group because the trust that's been eroded it needs to be built back up so an effort needs to be made so if you the listener kind of are in a position of power think about getting some cultural awareness training where you work i mean it's mostly about education about Mm. the people the things that you're doing and thinking like well is there something in what i do that i could do that would make things easier or is there something i'm already doing that actually inadvertently is making it harder um, so, yeah, it's all education, really. Uh, and particularly if you do work in education, there's tons to be done there. It, it is interesting because the, the longer we've been doing this podcast and the more people that we speak to, a lot of issues in terms of in terms of shame, finding your identity and then finding your community do rest a lot in representation and just lack of awareness. And because everything that we've kind of known in terms of media, TV, film, and even just, you know, like the school system has been geared towards more of like a heteronormative society. So yeah, like you say, it's incredibly important for for everyone Mm. to be included and recognised. Well, yeah. So when I went to school, there was not one book that ever had a traveller in it. There was not one sort of you know, the maths problems are like, Jim has baked 40 cakes. Um, there was never one of them that was about someone pulling onto a place with the funfair and he needs to do that. And it seems petty that, you know, it would have been nice to have seen myself represented in a maths problem. What The message that gets sent is that, well, you don't belong here. And if the only yeah. media that you ever get that involves travellers, like whenever I do cultural awareness training try and make everyone in the room a little bit awkward because I ask them like, oh, uh, so let's go around the room and we'll, you know, say your name and I don't know, say your favourite uh, film with the traveller in or like say your favourite traveller celebrity and so the first person says Snatch or the first person says Titan Fury and the second person's fucked because <laughs> they can't think of anybody uh, and then they, they feel really like, oh God, you know, I should have thought of something. Sometimes if they're, you know, a bit smart, they'll say me. Uh, as their favourite person, <laughs> but you know, then the third person's equally fucked. So, yeah. and that's just the trouble is that, like, you know, it's a bit of fun that I used to almost tease them at the start. But if you grow up and you see that, well, I'm, I'm apparently not worth even being a a B plot on Casualty. I'm not, you know, it's there's no active representation that you can point to and go, oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the implicit message is that you don't belong and i think that that's something that would obviously resonate with people over a certain age when it comes to lgbt representation of like yeah. well there was like two tv shows uh, in the 90s and you know, that kind of thing. and then all the all the gay characters had to die because oh, um, it was sad <laughs> so there was never just like oh and, and this guy happens to be gay in the same way oh this guy happens to be romany it just was never part of the the, the output 
this is another question that's that's not there sorry um just because you mentioned being a psychotherapist as well do you specifically work with travelers in psychotherapy as well not specifically um i have a range of clients and some i work with uh who are from various traveling communities and others i don't i think it's still something that's quite new until recently there haven't been any kind of decent traveler specific therapy services so i'm kind of putting myself out there and saying oh you know i do this and one of the things i do is i provide therapist specific training for working with travelers so that because when i first went to therapy myself i found that i was spending about two or three sessions just giving context because it's such an alien concept to your average uh, middle class therapist mm -hmm. the whole lifestyle and as much as I didn't particularly mind that, but I sort of think, like, well, I'm meant to be talking about why I'm sad or yeah. whatever the thing is that I've come for. But again, with your question earlier, it's not about malice. It's just about ignorance. Mm. Um, and that's why some of the travellers that have come to see me have just have enjoyed it simply for the fact that they know that they can use the slang words or use kind of a particular lexicon or talk about an event uh, and I'll know what that means and they don't have to sit there and go oh well you know this means that or you know oh, Appleby's a big horse fair that we all go to in, in the north and that kind of thing mm -hmm. yeah I don't think that it's necessarily true that you have to have a therapist that's from your community mm -hmm. um, and in fact sometimes having someone that's very different for you can be really therapeutically useful but I think for some people especially at the beginning of their journey it's just one less roadblock to kind of getting started yeah no that completely makes sense we had an episode a few episodes back where we discussed the different routes to therapy so we had um through the nhs private and through chari the charity sector and one of the questions i asked the assistant psychologist for the nhs was about whether they kind of get mandatory training on lgbtq issues or whether it's up to them to kind of search for themselves and there isn't mandatory training it is just on a case-by-case -case basis with the clinical uh, psychologist or whoever you get paired with luckily when I had therapy with the NHS I was paired with someone who was also gay and had a similar background to me and I found there was such value in that so I think equally with you and, and your clients they must feel a sense of um, just comfort knowing that you've got that similar history yeah, especially because with that distrust that I was talking about, there's a fear that your therapist is going to be a bit like a social worker. And if you say something that you're going to get shopped to the police yeah. because, like, oh, you know, there's this fear that oh, travellers are going to be a bit more volatile. If the man down the road says a statement, you take it as something about his level of fear or whatever. Mm -hmm. but if a traveller says it, you might think, like, oh, I wonder if our kids are safe. Right. Uh, and it's just because of the kind of, biases that people have like oh mm -hmm. i don't know so the sense that like you know i, I get it i'm not gonna get skittish and mm. ring the social over nothing you mentioned that you did have lots of plans for last year and they got scarpered but do you have any plans for this year i know we're kind of delayed getting opened again so yeah i mean it's it's all quite tentative because as i said the main thing that we've been working on at the moment is registering to become a official charity rather than the sort of loose group that we're at so uh, most recent meetings have been uh, very tedious and about writing constitutions but the plan is that 
ideally in June, because it's not just Pride Month, it's also Gypsy Roma Traveller History Month, which oh, wow. nobody knows apart yeah. from people that work for Traveller Charities. But um, uh, we want to kind of organise some meetups there. Uh, hopefully we'll get our friend Cherry along. Awesome. It's always nice to have a celebrity. Yeah. Um, we're working at providing more services and doing more training and the kind of the bread and butter stuff. But the thing that we've missed is being together. Mm. Um, and so having some events where we get people together and also because we're in this initial stage of becoming official, it's useful to kind of have like 20 minutes of as a bit of a focus group of like, well, here's 20 of you. What do you reckon we ought to be doing? So that it isn't just things that I, cause, because I'm a therapist, I keep thinking in terms of like, oh, maybe we should provide therapy. Mm. You know, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So I think that it'd be good to get that, but there's just something about getting people together. Mm. And ideally we'll be going to at least one pride event this year, unless you know, we were going to go to Manchester last year. So hopefully we'll go there again. Um, well, realistic you know, for the first time, mm-hmm. but there's just something about getting us out there. Um, we also do have plans to go to Appleby horse fair because we, you know, we've been travelers in an LGBT space. And so now we want to do the opposite. You know, when I was growing up, it was easy to feel, oh, you can't be both. Mm. Um, There's something that, because you've not met anyone else, so I think there's something quite important for us to bring people there and to feel that you still, your culture still matters to you and you can be engaged in it whilst also not being straight. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the plan as well. Thanks so much for your time, Tyler. It was really lovely to chat to you. Since our interview, LGBT plus Traveller Pride have announced that they're going to be doing an event on the 26th of June. So you need to head to their socials to get up to date on what's going on and how to get involved. So at the start of the episode, we mentioned that we were going to talk about the third charity that Joe Malone London are going to be supporting this month, which is Stonewall Housing. So Stonewall Housing work to ensure that LGBTQ people live in safer homes free from fear. They provide housing support for LGBTQ people in their own homes, supported housing for young LGBTQ people, as well as free and confidential housing advice for LGBTQ people of all ages. Again, if you've been paying attention to previous episodes, you will have heard that I've mentioned Stonewall Housing a few times through the the work that I do in my day job at Tonic Housing. We work quite close to the team at Stonewall Housing for a few different things. But if you want to check out some research that we did together late last year called the Building Safe Choices Report, and that looked at the housing and care needs of older LGBT people, specifically in London, and it was the largest survey of its kind of older LGBTQ people. That was also with Open Doors London again, another fantastic organisation. So thanks to Drumlow London for supporting Stonewall Housing. You can find out more about them at stonewallhousing.org. If you're not already, make sure you're following Cherry on Instagram at the Cherry Valentine. And for Traveller Pride, you can go to Instagram at Traveller Pride and on Twitter at Traveller LGBT. Don't forget, we have also, for Pride Month, been working on stunning pride playlists oh yeah i forgot we've been updating them every weekend so far by the time this episode is released there will be another freshen up of the playlist of the playlist there'll be another freshen up of the playlist (laughs) babe so make sure you give those a follow search for bottoming they'll come up alongside the podcast so 
little follow and get yourself in the mood. Mm-hmm. Next week, we have an interview with Sharon Daliwell of Burnt Roti Magazine and Middlesex Pride. One last thing. Remember, you can still vote for us in the Listener's Choice Award for the British Podcast Awards. You can go to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. Just search in bottoming, add in your details. It's your name and your email address. It takes, I'm going to say 15 seconds. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review or a rating. Mm-hmm. It'd be very much appreciated. Mm-hmm. You're getting used to this begging malarkey, aren't you? <laughs> Thanks for listening. We are excited to be back with you again next week for our fourth Prime on Series episode. Yeah. Until then. You're doing amazing, sweetie. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Bye. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.